Hey everyone, welcome back to the Daily Gospel Exegesis podcast. So as you probably know, the approach that we take in this podcast is every single day we look at the gospel reading from today's Mass and we have a go at pulling it apart verse by verse to help you understand what is the literal sense of the text, what was the author trying to convey to his original audience. So today we're looking at a longer passage and it's a really interesting one, Mark chapter 6 verses 14 to 29. King Herod had heard about Jesus, since by now his name was well known. Some were saying, John the Baptist has risen from the dead, and that is why miraculous powers are at work in him. Others said, he is Elijah. Others again, he is a prophet, like the prophets we used to have. But when Herod heard this, he said, it is John whose head I cut off. He has risen from the dead. Now, it was this same Herod who had sent to have John arrested and had had him chained up in prison because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, whom he had married. For John had told Herod, It is against the law for you to have your brother's wife. As for Herodias, she was furious with him and wanted to kill him, but she was not able to because Herod was afraid of John knowing him to be a good and holy man, and gave him his protection. When he had heard him speak, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he liked to listen to him. An opportunity came on Herod's birthday when he gave a banquet for the nobles of his court, for his army officers, and for the leading figures in Galilee. When the daughter of this same Herodias came in and danced, she delighted Herod and his guests, So the king said to the girl, Ask me anything you like, and I will give it to you. And he swore her an oath, I will give you anything you ask, even half my kingdom. She went out and said to her mother, What shall I ask for? Her mother replied, The head of John the Baptist. The girl hurried straight back to the king and made her request. I want you to give me John the Baptist's head here and now on a dish. The king was deeply distressed, but thinking of the oaths he had sworn and of his guests, he was reluctant to break his word to her. So the king at once sent one of the bodyguards with orders to bring John's head. The man went off and beheaded him in prison. Then he brought the head on a dish and gave it to the girl and the girl gave it to her mother. When John's disciples heard about this, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. So that is the text we want to look at today from Mark chapter 6. And surely you would agree that this is a really unique text. Uh, Nowhere else in the Gospels do we have a story that has all these different elements um, being presented in the way that they are here about John the Baptist's death. So let's start by thinking about the context. So just before this, in Mark chapter 6... Jesus has sent the 12 apostles out on mission. And what we have in this text today is what a lot of scholars would call a Markan sandwich. So this is a story that's wedged between two other things that are about the same thing. So before this, Jesus sends the apostles out on mission. And then Mark has this story that he puts in here. And then after this story, he returns to the matter of the apostles being out on mission. Verse 14, King Herod. Now, We need to keep in mind that this is not the same King Herod that ordered the Bethlehem boys to be killed. It's actually a different King Herod. 
That first King Herod, Herod the Great, who ordered the death of the Bethlehem babies, he has now died by this point. But what we have here is one of his sons, who is called, more technically, Herod Antipas. So we're dealing here with Herod Antipas. He rules over the area of Galilee and Perea from 4 BC until AD 39. Now, this is the King Herod that Jesus comes before uh, during his trial. In Luke's Gospel, we see Jesus uh, has a short trial before this King Herod. So it's King Herod Antipas. He doesn't rule over the Jerusalem area. He rules over the Galilee and Perea area. Now, he hears, as we see here in the way Mark tells the story, King Herod hears about Jesus and his apostles' ministry. By this point, Jesus' name is spreading far and wide. So even King Herod starts to hear about this Jesus guy who's from his own region of Galilee. Uh, Mark says, since by now, Jesus' name was well known. And then Mark says, some were saying John the Baptist has risen from the dead. So what we're going to see here is um, a variety of explanations that people are giving for who this Jesus guy is. One of the explanations is that it's John the Baptist risen from the dead. Now, John the Baptist was very popular. Almost everyone in Israel knew John the Baptist, uh, but then he dies. And we're going to see in this story how he dies. But now we have Jesus walking around. And one of the explanations for who Jesus is, is it's, oh, it's John the Baptist again. That's how influential John the Baptist was while he was alive. There is something a bit strange about this explanation, though. So why would some Jewish people here say John the Baptist has risen from the dead? The Jews did believe in resurrection, but they didn't really believe in reincarnation. So these people apparently believe that John, that Jesus really is actually John the Baptist risen again. It's actually John the Baptist himself who has risen from the dead. That is strange because most Jews didn't believe in individual resurrections before the end of time. But apparently here we have some Jews who've just decided that the most logical explanation for who this amazing Jesus guy is, is John the Baptist really has risen from the dead, even though that was not a typical way that they thought about the resurrection taking place. And The people here say that is why miraculous powers are in Jesus. Now, as far as we know, John the Baptist didn't actually have any miraculous powers, but he was known as a man full of the Spirit. So that's the best way that these people can make sense of Jesus' power and his ministry. Verse 15, then there's another group of people who are saying he is Elijah. So there are some prophecies in the Old Testament which predict that Elijah will return one day before the kingdom of God comes. So particularly in the book of Malachi, it talks about how uh, Elijah will return before the great day of the Lord. So the Jews were looking forward to the return of Elijah. Now, Elijah was able to work miracles. So it's quite logical that people would believe that Jesus is Elijah. Then there's another group of people who say Jesus is a prophet like the prophets we used to have. Now, by this time, the Jews had not had a large-scale prophet for quite a while, maybe since about 400 BC. There hasn't been one of these famous national prophets. Maybe Jesus... uh, So, some of them think that maybe Jesus is one of those that we haven't had for a while. Now, it's important to point out, just from an apologetic perspective, this verse in itself teaches us that the Jews did believe that a prophet could rise... There could be another prophet... Right. Um, Some Protestants will say that, uh, and they'll make this as part of their arguments for why we shouldn't accept the Deuterocanon in the Bible. They would say that the Jews 
um, didn't believe that there was going to be another prophet. Uh, and therefore, we shouldn't accept the books, uh, the later books of the Old Testament in that period when there are no prophets. Well, here we have the Jews in Jesus' day being okay with the idea of there being another prophet. So that particular argument against the Deuterocanon is not going to work. The Jews clearly believe that uh, the line of prophets was continuous and that around the time of Jesus, they were fine with another prophet rising again. Verse 16, Herod said, it is John whose head I cut off. He has risen from the dead. So Herod knows about all these different explanations of who Jesus is. And he goes with the explanation that it's John the Baptist. John the Baptist has risen again. And notice he claims, he sort of claims this for himself. He says, I cut his head off, but now he's risen from the dead. So as we're going to see here, John the Baptist has made quite an impression on King Herod during his lifetime. So for that reason, Herod says, well, it must be John the Baptist. He is persuaded that John the Baptist really was quite an amazing figure, even though Herod himself was responsible for killing him. Now, what happens here? Verse 17, Mark is going to do a flashback to explain how it came to be that John the Baptist died. So, in the present, uh, this part of the gospel is about Jesus and the various explanations for who Jesus is. But now, uh, Mark is going to give us a flashback to explain how it is that uh, John the Baptist happens to be dead by this point. So what we're going to see here is something that occurred earlier during Jesus' ministry. We don't know exactly when. Probably around the start of Jesus' public ministry is when what we're about to see actually happened. Verse 17. Now, it was this same Herod who had sent to have John arrested and had chained him up in prison because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, whom he had married. So... Let's set the scene here. John the Baptist is put in prison somewhere in Herod's territory. A lot of scholars think this imprisonment may well have been in the fortress of Macarius, which is east of the Dead Sea, and that is indeed near where John the Baptist preached, and it's in Perea, which is part of uh, King Herod's territory. So apparently that's where John the Baptist was put in prison, and as we'll see, the reason he's been put in there is in order to please his wife. King Herod puts John the Baptist in prison in order to please King Herod's wife, whose name is Herodias. Now, let's talk a bit about Herodias. The story actually tells us a bit about the family tree here, but it's confusing to keep track of. So, Mark here says Herodias is Herod's brother Philip's wife, whom he then, whom Herod then marries. So, Herodias if you, we know this from history, Herodias is actually the daughter of another one of Herod's brothers. So that means Herod is Herodias's half-uncle. Now, Herod also has another brother called Philip. So there's a few brothers in this family. And Philip originally married Herodias. So there's two ways in which Herodias is related to Herod. So Herodias is Herod's sister-in-law... And she's also his niece, but Herod still wants to marry her anyway. So it's a very sort of strange family here. Now, Herod and Herodias, the male Herod and the female Herodias, they previously were both married to different people, but they both had divorced their first spouses in order to marry each other because they actually lived in open adultery for a while. And then eventually they divorced their original spouses and married each other. Verse 18, John the Baptist had told Herod. Now, 
keep in mind the location here. John the Baptist ministered in a place called Bethany beyond the Jordan, and that is in Perea. That's part of Herod Antipas's territory. So somehow, maybe King Herod came to see John the Baptist preaching, or maybe he just heard through the grapevine some of the things that John the Baptist was saying during his preaching. And here's what he hears John saying. It is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So remember, Herod and Herodias had divorced their original spouses in order to marry each other. And the law of Moses makes it very clear that you cannot covet another man's wife. That's one of the Ten Commandments. And then further to that, Leviticus chapter 20 verse 21 says that it's unlawful to take the wife of your brother while the brother is still living. So Herod has actually broken a couple of Jewish laws here. And Herod is supposed to be a Jew. So John the Baptist here, as a public preacher preaches against the ruler of this area, King Herod, and he says, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Notice John the Baptist here preaches repentance for everyone, including for rulers. He's not afraid to address the rulers of his part of the world. He's actually willing to risk his life for his message. In fact, he loses his life as a result of preaching uh, to those in power. Verse 19, Herodias was furious with him. So the female Herodias, who is now the wife of King Herod, she's furious with John the Baptist. Why is that? Well, obviously she's benefiting from being the king's wife. And the fact that she's annoyed with John the Baptist indicates that John has denounced King Herod publicly, possibly. And maybe that's why she's worried, is that the public now has heard John the Baptist preaching against her husband. Or possibly, maybe Herod himself is affected by what he's hearing John the Baptist say, and Herod himself is maybe starting to second-guess the marriage. Either way, Herodias is getting very annoyed at John the Baptist. Mark says she wanted to kill him, but she could not. So Herodias would have killed John much earlier if she could have, and Mark here doesn't give us the reason why she can't kill him, but Matthew's Gospel does. If you look at Matthew's version, it says, but They were afraid of the people who regarded John as a prophet. So Herod and Herodias can't take action against John the Baptist because the people still regard John the Baptist as a prophet. And if they kill him, there'll be an uprising from the people. Herod doesn't want to make the people that he rules over angry, and neither does Herodias. And think about it, if that did happen, if they did kind of cause a rebellion the Romans would probably punish King Herod for failing to keep the peace. So King Herod needs to try to keep the peace as much as possible, which means he can't really kill John the Baptist without some consequences from the crowds. Verse 20, Herod was afraid of John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man. So here we have another reason why King Herod doesn't really want to kill John the Baptist. Herod is afraid of John the Baptist. Herod thinks that John is a righteous and holy man. That in itself tells us that Herod does have a genuine fear of God, and he knows that if he offends God's prophet, he's going to be in trouble. So King Herod really does believe in God, and uh, that one of God's characteristics is justice. It's interesting that this powerful ruler who lives in luxury was afraid of this austere prophet from the desert. He really is a witness. John the Baptist is a witness to another way of life, and it's having an impact on King Herod. And then Mark says Herod gave him his protection. So King Herod actually doesn't let John the Baptist be killed. There's echoes here of the message Elijah gave to the king, king Ahab in 1 Kings 19 
through to chapter 21. So in that story, uh, Elijah rebuked King Ahab, and then King Ahab actually protected Elijah, even though Jezebel wanted to kill the prophet. So there's a lot of similarities there. Mark says, when Herod heard him speak, he was greatly perplexed, yet he liked to listen to him. So this indicates that King Herod is still listening to John the Baptist preach in prison. He probably goes and visits John the Baptist in prison. Herod likes to listen to John the Baptist. He probably finds some of the things he says confusing. The word that's used here is perplexed. Uh, King Herod is perplexed by the things John the Baptist says, and yet he's still attracted to the things that he says. They seem to have this ring of truth. So it's this really interesting um, interaction here between John the Baptist and King Herod. Verse 21, an opportunity came on Herod's birthday when he gave a banquet for the nobles of his court. So notice it lists here Herod's birthday. In the ancient world, not many people celebrated their birthday. Only rulers did, really. And it was actually a secular custom, not a Jewish custom. And that's why we don't hear much about birthdays. But Herod here, being uh, sort of borrowing this custom from secular rulers, decides to celebrate his birthday. And he gives a banquet for the nobles of his court and for his army officers. Or you can translate this for his courtiers and officers. So basically, for those who work for him. King Herod is going to do a big banquet for everyone that works for him. And the leading men of Galilee. is another group that's mentioned here. So this group of leading men from Galilee who don't directly work for King Herod, they also get invited. That's probably the Herodians mentioned in chapter 3 of Mark. They're basically social elites, uh, people who are supporters of King Herod, and they're kind of upper-class people. They're called Herodians, so they're invited to this big banquet as well. Verse 22, the daughter of Herodias. So now we have a new character introduced, the daughter of uh, the queen, basically. So effectively, the daughter of the wife of the king. Her name, according to Josephus, it's not given to us here, but Josephus tells us her name, it's Salome. And she's 14 years old, so she's quite young. Later in history, Philip, remember that's one of the other Herod brothers, Philip actually marries Salome. So that just shows you again how convoluted this family history is. So Salome comes in and dances. Now, many women of the court were trained in dancing for special occasions. Usually the princess wouldn't do this job, though. It would be other women of the court. So Possibly this is some sort of seductive dance, uh, which is quite possible at an all-male party that involved alcohol. And it's also possible that her mother has sent her to do this dance. This whole thing might be orchestrated by Herodias. So she dances a special dance at the banquet. And Mark says she delighted Herod and his guests. So everyone enjoyed this dance that Salome gives. Verse 23, so the king said to the girl, remember this is the daughter of his wife, Ask me anything you like, and I will give it to you. So, as a way of thanking her for the dance. And he's probably wanting to impress his guests by making these grandiose promises. And he swears an oath. Now, Jews took their oaths very seriously. Once he says this oath, he really can't back out of it. He swears an oath to Salome and says, I will give you anything you ask, even half my kingdom. Now, this proves that he's probably quite intoxicated at this point. It's not possible for Herod, he's a client king of Rome, it's actually not possible for him to subdivide his kingdom. It's not possible for him to give Salome half of his kingdom. Verse 24, she went out and said to her mother, what shall I ask for? 
So she herself doesn't really know what she wants to ask for, so she asks her mum, Herodias, for ideas. She replied, the head of John the Baptist. So Herodias says to Salome, I want the head of John the Baptist. Now, not just John the Baptist dead, she wants proof that he's dead. I want to see his head. So Herodias takes her opportunity here. She's been wanting to get rid of John the Baptist for a while, and she knows that her husband, Herod, has now made a vow. So she takes her opportunity and says, tell King Herod that I want the head of John the Baptist. The girl hurried straight back to the king and made her request. I want you to give me John the Baptist's head here and now on a dish. So Herodias, probably giving her instructions, giving instructions to Salome here, Herodias ensures that it's done quickly so that his guests can see it happen as well. Herodias says, let's get this done. Verse 25, the king was deeply distressed. Another translation there is exceedingly sorry. So Herod doesn't want John the Baptist to die for a few reasons, because of the backlash from the public and probably also because of his own feelings towards John. He really does like John. But thinking of the oaths he had sworn, so he knows that he can't break the oath that he just swore to Salome, and of his guests, so he thinks of his guests as well, and he realises that he doesn't want to look like a fool in front of his guests. So for those reasons, even though he doesn't want to kill John the Baptist, he realises he's made an oath and he's got to make a good impression on his guests. He was reluctant to break his word to her. So verse 27, so the king at once sent one of the bodyguards with orders to bring John's head. So he sends one of his guards to go and execute John. Notice King Herod here condemns an innocent man without trial. And that's fairly similar to the way that kings in the Herodian dynasty acted in general. The man went off and beheaded him in prison. Then he brought the head on a dish and gave it to the girl and the girl gave it to her mother. So it's quite gruesome here. John the Baptist gets beheaded, but that's quite a common way for people to die in the ancient world. And in this case, his head is brought out on a dish and it gets brought to Salome and then Salome gives it to Herodias. And notice it's on a dish or another translation is on a platter. So it's like almost as if John the Baptist is like the next course in this banquet. So in a very real sense, we can say that John is the first martyr for the kingdom of God. Verse 29, when John's disciples heard about this, so we know from several passages in the Gospels that John the Baptist actually has his own disciples, his own followers, and now they hear that their leader, John, has died. So they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. So they give John the Baptist an honourable burial. Now, in Matthew's version of this story, it says that the disciples of John, after they've buried John, they then come and tell Jesus about what's happened to John because they know that Jesus is a fan of John the Baptist. Now, that's not recorded at this point in Mark's gospel, uh, but you'll see it. uh, Matthew puts the two things together in his gospel. Now, remember the whole point of this story in Mark. The point of this sort of uh, flashback was in order to explain why King Herod feels the way about Jesus that he does. King Herod believes that John the Baptist has been raised again supernaturally and now is going around apparently calling himself Jesus. That is the reason that uh, Mark includes this story. It's sort of a way of highlighting what different people think about Jesus at this point in his ministry. And he wants to explain why the ruler of of that part of the world, really, the region where Jesus comes from, why does the ruler of of Galilee think what, what does he think about Jesus? That has now been explained by Mark. 
But there could also be some other reasons why Mark has included this story. So we could say, maybe Mark wants to make a clear distinction between Jesus and John the Baptist, because of, there were many rumours going around about uh, possibly maybe John the Baptist is the Messiah. And that view continues for quite a while, even in, into the book of Acts. So maybe Mark here wants to clarify uh, John the Baptist is not the Messiah. He's clarifying the distinction between Jesus and John the Baptist. Also, it could underscore the high cost of Christian discipleship. So Mark is telling his readers that there is a real chance he could be martyred for preaching the truth of the kingdom of God. And also, the execution of John the Baptist here is going to mirror the way that the governing authorities would later treat Jesus himself. Both of them are put to death by double-minded politicians. So maybe Mark is sort of foreshadowing what's going to happen to Jesus. So I'll finish this exegesis with, this is an extended quote. It sort of summarizes this whole um, episode here from Mark. And this is a quote from the Catholic commentary on sacred scripture for the Gospel of Mark. Readers might wonder why Mark has spent so much time on this chilling episode, the only sustained narrative in his gospel that is not directly about Jesus. Perhaps it is to highlight the passion of John as a foreshadowing of the passion of Christ. Herod's actions show the snowball effect of unchecked sin, a common biblical theme. From adultery, Herod progressed to debauchery and ultimately, via his rash oaths, to murder. Like Pilate later in the gospel, Herod holds no malice towards his victim. Yet cowardice and excessive concern for his own reputation lead him to bloodshed. Each player in the drama is complicit in the evil, his scheming wife, her lascivious daughter, the ruthlessly efficient executioner, and even Herod's dissipated guests, who raise no protest against the death of the innocent. Similarly, all the players in The Passion of Jesus, and by extension, all of sinful humanity, are complicit in the death of the Son of God. Jesus, like John, will meet his end because he confronts people with the hard, but salutary truth about God's claim on our lives and the call to repentance that is the doorway to salvation. The success of the apostles' first mission, which immediately follows John's death, is a symbolic anticipation of the countless multitudes who will enter the kingdom as a fruit of the death of Christ and of the witness of Christian martyrs who testify to the gospel at the cost of their lives. So I think that's a really good quote there that brings together various reasons why uh, Mark has included this story here. So the next thing that happens in the gospel is we're going to see the apostles coming back after their mission and telling Jesus uh, how the mission went. So you can hear that one on Saturday of week four in Ordinary Time and also the 16th Sunday in Ordinary Time in year B. If we turn to the Catechism, which is a summary of Catholic Church teaching, there's just one paragraph here that explicitly references uh, this scene from Mark chapter 6, and it's in the section about the preparations for Jesus. So this paragraph is about John the Baptist. John the Baptist is the Lord's immediate precursor, or forerunner, sent to prepare his way. Prophet of the Most High, John surpasses all the prophets of whom he is the last. He inaugurates the gospel already from his mother's womb, welcomes the coming of Christ, and rejoices in being the friend of the bridegroom, whom he points out as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Going before Jesus in the spirit and power of Elijah, John bears witness to Christ in his preaching by his baptism and 
of conversion and through his martyrdom. So that brings us to the end of today's episode. Hopefully you learned something new from this really interesting story. And we'll continue to look at the Gospels in the coming days. Please keep this ministry in your prayers. Tell other people about it. And have a look at uh, all the exclusive content that's available to you through the Patreon page if you're interested. We'll see you tomorrow.